everybody, this is William Del Pilar. Most of you know me as a conservative Latino, but many of you know me from my fantasy sports background. But here we are going to talk California politics with the inaugural episode of Fired Up California. And I've got two special guests that you all will enjoy because they're both grassroots. And you're going to get your perspectives from a grassroots perspective. And my, as y'all already know, Karen Roseberry and Aaron Park is my other guest. Karen, if you can tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, William. It's good to be back on again. Uh, my name is Karen Roseberry. Uh, I'm out in the northern part of Los Angeles County. I've uh, worked, I don't know, probably a dozen or so uh, political campaigns on various levels here, there, and everything. I have a background in education and some customer service, and I'm uh, currently uh, working in the uh, the, the pro-life sector uh, at, in a pregnancy center. We just had our, our big gala with Greg Glory, and it was a really big success with about 700 in attendance. Nice. And for the people out there, Karen works at the Family Pregnancy Center, and that's one of my issues with the Republican Party. They Planned Parenthood is in the back pocket of the Democrats where they can't find you uh, to save their lives, Karen. And, and that really bugs me. Mr. Park, if you can tell us a little bit about yourself and that wonderful blog I thoroughly enjoy. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I actually got my start in politics in 1997, protesting in front of an abortion clinic. So there you go, Karen. <laughs> that was how I got started. I've always believed that abortion is murder, and that was what brought me into the political arena. From there, I got introduced to the California Republican Assembly and the California Republican Party at the same time. Was appointed as a delegate to the California Republican Party in 1999 by then-Senator Rico Aller and uh, got elected as an officer in the CRA the first time in 2000. That gives you an idea. I've been doing this for 26 years. I am 52 years old, so you can do the math. It's half my life I've been doing political work. I've worked on nearly 200 political campaigns and uh, elected 125 people successfully You know, in the campaigns that I worked on. So if you're over 50% doing the majority of your work in California as a Republican, you're, you're all right. You're doing okay. Um, I have sought to, even though I do paid political work now a lot, um, I have sought to maintain my contact with the grassroots and stuff like that because one of the things I saw from my fellow political consultants is that uh, they lose touch with the grassroots. They lose touch with the ground. They forget about this stuff. And so I've kind of... I'm in a weird place sometimes because sometimes I piss a lot of people off because I'm still an activist and I'm still a consultant. Consultants make people mad just by drawing breath, but activists have a special kind of uh, you know connection with regards to doing that. But the fact of the matter is things like the life issue, things like family values, things like taxation, things like big government, you know, secure borders, stuff like that, it still matters to me. So it's not a calculus of which candidate has the most money all the time for me. Sometimes I will work for a candidate that's less viable than the, the front runner when there's multiple viable options in a campaign, if that makes sense. So that kind of gives you a little bit of the, of the approach where I come from. I consider myself a pragmatic right winger. I will always default to the most conservative candidate, but if there are overriding factors that cause a less conservative candidate to be a better option, then I am open to looking at that. What was that the Bradley principle? Did I get, or uh, I feel like I've got the wrong name. What, there, there was there was there was a principle that was actually about going for the most viable conservative William F, candidate. William F. Buckley. 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 There we go. That's what it was. Yes. Yeah. But I'm not quite as far, quite as far as that though. A little tidbit for you both, John. As a child, 
wrote John as a child was as conservative as they come. So something changed. But as a child, Big John, he's six foot four or six two, something, that's why I call him Big John, wrote a letter, handwritten letter, to William F. Buckley, and he responded back. You know, yeah, when, uh, whenever y'all meet him, it. I'll have him tell you that story. Uh, and the reason I bring it up, obviously, is William Buckley is, is deemed by many to be the father of today's modern day conservatism. Uh, I've never seen him like that, but then he was a little bit before my time. But you can't help but know of him once you do enter the politics. And my final note before we go on into a couple of uh, uh, specifics I have to read out is one of the reasons I'm friends or, or acquaintances, I, I don't want to push too far in that sense in how you guys view me, is of what Aaron said. Because I know Karen believes the same thing. We don't default to what will give us the most success in life, at least politically. We default, default with our values. And I'm sure Aaron and Karen can both tell you about times they just pull their hair out of their heads out of frustration. We all go through that as grassroots. And that is one reason I decided to start the Fired Up California is I don't think there are enough quality grassroots, or for that matter, many California grassroots organizations doing podcasts specifically to educate the audience from a grassroots perspective. And what I want to add to that, what I'd love to hear from you both is not only the grassroots perspective, but how this perspective fits in realistically. Uh, uh, I mean, as an example, John's a libertarian and I asked him about an issue and he defaulted back to his base fundamental thought. I said, John, that, that's not happening. That's never going to happen. So from a realistic perspective, what would you do? And that's where, I don't want to say controversy, but that's where the angst begins because there's never a great answer because we have to fit ourselves from our perspectives into the machine that is moving forward right now. And that moves from pro-life to, to water, to our platform we're going to discuss, to everything. So it's finding that balance. And we as grassroots conservatives at times fail at that because we won't budge. Sometimes not budging is the right thing. Sometimes I feel not budging, we kind of hurt ourselves. Uh, uh, and Gates. I'm not saying that's ego or anything. It's just one of those tough situations. Matt so Gates. let me do a, a, yeah, there you go. Uh, so, so, so let me do a couple of uh, 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 musts here. You can watch this platform. I'm sorry, you can watch this podcast, Fired Up California, and our other podcasts at sportsgrumblings.com, which will soon become, within the next few days, grumblingsmedia.com. Uh, sportsgrumblings.com had a life of over 20-plus years, and now we're doing Grumblings Media uh, uh, as it encompasses politics, entertainment, and sports. You can also listen to us at our traditional spots, uh, Apple, Google, Spotify, Pandora, and you can watch us on YouTube and Rumble. And on there, my friends, look for the Grumblings Media. So this topic that we're dealing with today is going to be specifically on the California Convention. We think one of my beliefs, the grassroots that irks me the most is when there's a California convention and grassroots leadership doesn't go. I'm talking about the clubs, you know, all these organizations that are around professing to be grassroots club. I used to belong to one called North County something and they would never go. Some of the leaders, you know, and I'm like, you're here preaching the gospel, but you won't even go, you know. So I think it's important for us grassroots to get an understanding of what happened at, at the convention. We're going to talk about the platform for those that don't understand. And the platform is our bylaws. It's the heart and soul of who we... Oh, I'm sorry. Karen's correcting me already. Go ahead, Karen. <laughs> the, the bylaws are separate than the platform. Uh, the bylaws tell how the party is governed and operates. The platform is the mission statement. It is the 
ideal for which the party seeks to pursue their policy goals and, and achievements. Okay, perfect. Thank you for that correction. And we're also going to talk about some of the board elections. There was a there was a big upset that's important to the grassroots, and you need to know about it. You need to know people about the players out there. I've heard a lot of names uh, over the last uh, seven, eight years I've been involved, but at times, that's all I know. So Aaron and Karen are going to educate us on that. We're going to talk a little whispers is what I call it, because I did see some snippets about, uh, uh, or I'm wondering if there was any talk about the Senate. And then somebody mentioned water. There was some talk about about water, uh, but I think that came from Trump. And then we're going to get into the presidential politics. Why? There were three big time candidates out there. Honestly, realistically, there's only one candidate. Uh, 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 okay, there's four. Uh, uh, there's only one real candidate who's running away with it, but there are other candidates and we need to hear their voices as well. And from there, uh, uh, we'll see how much time is left and what else we can get into. Again, everybody, thank you for your patience and let's get to it. So the conservative platform, as Ms. Roseberry explained, there was the big issue going into this event was that they really wanted to, to, to change the platform. Uh, Karen, let me let Aaron start first here. Aaron, first of all, if you can explain what our basics uh, the major points are and then what they wanted to change and then Karen I, I'll get you in so the bottom line is is that the current platform of the California Republican Party is basically your standard Republican set of issues it has pro-life language pro-family language freedom of religion freedom of speech a lot of those you know touchy issues that some people get really get their hair up on the back of their neck up over for no reason but I mean they do we're the conservative, we're the socially conservative party. What's happened for years, and I can give you guys some background on this, because this has been an issue since 1999 when I went to my first CRP convention. CRP is California Republican Party, for the benefit of those of you not, not familiar with the acronyms. But the California Republican Party convention, like the squishes, as I affectionately refer to my less than conservative friends as, um, on my blog, Right on Daily, which I basically started as an outlet for you know, my views, never dreaming when I started it in 2004. Oh, no, my God, it was December of 03. <laughs> when I started, I never dreamed that it would become like a lightning rod and a rallying point for conservatives and stuff like that. But literally, I've been involved in defending the platform three separate times from the same crap. The squishes have convinced themselves that we lose elections because we're pro-life. They've convinced themselves that we lose elections because we take strong stances on behalf of freedom of religion, a.k.a. marriages between one man and one woman, etc. So what made this platform fight different than past platform fights was this, okay? Same players. You had Luis Bueller. You had the what's now known as the Log Cabin Republicans before they got chartered. It was a lot of the same people and stuff like that. They did their usual. They've had a dream of having our platform shrunk down to one page. They weren't quite and, and, able and to... And Aaron, Aaron, explain who the log cabin uh, Republicans are real quick. For the, most, most people don't know that outside of Republicans. Log cabin Republicans are the homosexual Republican group. Or Actually, let's go one step further lest I leave somebody out. They're the LGBTQ, <laughs> ABC, DEF group. And um, allies. Yeah, exactly. Just... However long the acronym is now, I can't keep track of it. But the point of it is, it's that, it's that group of folks. And by the way, several of them I consider to be friends. I've worked side by side with many of their members in campaigns and stuff like that. But I abs they know who I am. 
I am a proud Bible-thumping right-wing Christian conservative. I have something in my belief system to offend everybody. It's just the way it goes. And um, so they came to this to this circumstance with the same rhetoric. The difference between this time, William, and the past three, actually four times I've worked on platform drills, three times as a right as a blogger with Ride on Daily, they had a chair who came out of the system. Jessica Patterson was a career political operative. She didn't come into the political arena as an activist like Karen and I did. She came into the political arena as a consultant. Like she was hired right out of high school, did things like work for McCain, work for Victory Campaign, stuff like that. That's her pedigree. So when the platform uh, fight came out, and I'm trying to be as balanced on this as possible, your audience needs to understand that I've worked professionally for two of her opponents. I have tried to defeat her. I have tried to unseat her as chairman of the California Republican Party twice, okay? But I'm going to try to be as fair as I can with this because here's the bottom line. Because Jessica Patterson is a consultant from the establishment side of things, all of her friends were the people that were leading the fight to un to undo the platform. But then again, she also had people on the conservative side that were fighting against the effort to undo the platform because she had quite a coalition of establishment conservatives, some true conservatives, some moderates, and some of the extreme left of the party. That was her winning coalition because she won both of her, all three of her chairman elections, she's won with like two-thirds of the vote right. or 60% of the vote. So she had the log cabin people, and she had people like Fred Whitaker and, and uh, uh, the chair of San Diego County, both conservatives. Now, not conservatives in the mold of myself, but they are conservatives. I mean, you could convict them of being conservatives. And they were leading the charge. Ted Gaines, another one. Doug LaMalfa, Congressman Doug LaMalfa from up in my old backyard. They were leading the charge against it. And so Jessica Patterson had friends on both sides, so she stepped out. Whereas in 2019, when Jim Brulte was chair, William, Jim Brulte said, no, not on my watch. He wasn't, We're that's, that's incorrect. He wasn't chair in 2019. Um, Jessica had already won the chairmanship uh, for that uh, platform he ended, battle. He ended, Brulte ended the platform fight before Jessica got elected. Uh, I'll agree with you that, that he was instrumental in, in that key piece, but technically she was chair and it was voted on in the fall convention when she was chair. But right, the, right, right. But at that point, Brulte is uh, she's kind of letting him do his thing before she officially takes over. And I think she had, Brulte basically put his foot down and appointed all the committees and stuff like that, and basically put the put the kibosh on it. The, the, I, the 2019 platform w was tight. It really was, especially when it came to marriage. It, it only made it by two votes. Now, life wasn't on the issue in that one. I will agree, um, and I think that that was significantly part of Brulte's, you know, influence. But it, there was still a lot of it, it was it was still a fight to, to stay conservative even in the 2019 platform. But because of Brulte's intervention, it it tilted this it tilted this the swing this time around. And tell people like Ted Gaines and Doug LaMalfa and um, I can't remember the gal's name from Witzel, Paula Witzel? Is Paula that Witzel. The, yeah, that's Paula Witzel. But uh, Harmeet Dillon uh, was a significant factor of, of what happened as well. And she so. has been in the last three. In 15 and 19 and in 23, Harmeet Dillon was like basically the first person out of the gate. It was the fact that we had to get these other people who don't normally engage in intra-party politics, like 
The significance of Doug LaMalfa involving himself, William, can't be understated because Doug LaMalfa and Kevin McCarthy are very close. I mean, so close, in fact, that when Jim Jordan lost his first vote for Speaker, LaMalfa voted for McCarthy, even though McCarthy wasn't a declared candidate for Speaker. So this guy broke with the McCarthy crew from whence Jessica Patterson came and led the fight in, on behalf of the conservative platform. And so there you go. I mean, these are all the pieces here and stuff oh, like okay. that. Well, and, and I mean, I, I'm not going to underscore Lamalfa's influence, and I'm sure it, it was there, but I, I, I was at the convention, so I can tell you exactly for sure who were the, the most influential factors in that. And it remains Harmy Dillon, definitely at the top. But in terms of California politics, which is really what was going to drive this particular platform, with the exception that the reason why Harmeet got involved was because the national party was concerned that if California's right. platform was watered down, the national platform would be, and that's a whole other topic that we can get to in a second. But for the right. California platform, it was James Gallagher and Brian Jones that led that charge in every single committee meeting that was held up until that point it was no we're you know they were in the GDL Christian caucus okay. th th they were there to say we're going to hold the line on the platform. Okay, okay, question for both of you. And Karen, you can start, then, then Aaron, you can chime in. Why are we at this point where we have uh, conservatives wanting to water it down? That's the real issue. Because to me, the, it's like, I, I understand your point. You were talking about Brulte. It wasn't necessarily Brulte or Jessica as much as, look, even just three years ago, the party was putting its foot down on this nonsense. But it seems as if it got out of the gate this time. So, First part of the question, Karen, What, why and wh why are we at this point? And, and then Aaron, uh, uh, where are we heading uh, uh, after this battle? So Karen, if you can begin, please. Sure. Okay. So just to give a little clarity, because I don't think that all of your listeners actually may have gotten the complete background. This happens every four years. We, we've kind of talked about that, but it happens in the odd year before a presidential campaign. So, you know, we've been discussing what happened in 2015, 2019, and now 2023, most significantly. And I mean, Aaron's been around for the fights even uh, before that. So what happened here is, is, yes, there has always been a push to, if you will, trim the platform down, but it became ridiculous. There was also really, and this is, there's a lot more to the backstory that's a lot more nuanced on this as well. So what actually happened was, is, and per the bylaws, so to separate the bylaws from the platform again, there is a deadline for the submission of draft platforms. And I think it's May 25th. You can double check the, the bylaws if you're so inclined. It doesn't really matter. 60 days before. Right. So every delegate has an opportunity to submit a draft platform to the drafting committee. So let, let's let's break down a little bit of the mechanics of this a little bit more for, for those that are not familiar with what happens in platform, just so that we can understand the players that are involved and how we got here, because I think that was the question. So there's an election that takes place for the platform committee and there's a whole process that's involved in it but the platform committee uh, ended up comprising about 195 people after the platform committee is elected then the drafting committee is a subset of that committee and the drafting committee is the one who looks at all of the draft platforms that have been submitted and after the dra draft platforms are submitted then every delegate has an opportunity to review those and submit amendments to those same draft platforms and that's mid-June. So 
the May 25th deadline comes, the mid-June or you know deadline comes, we know what's out there, we've seen the platform drafts, we've seen the amendments. There's actually nothing that's horrible. We know that Wallace is going to throw out an amendment. That's uh, Greg Wallace. He's an assemblyman from the Palm Desert area who won his election by 47 votes. He's going to throw out an amendment that's going to strip uh, the family plank of the language of one man, one woman. That's out there. You know, but we, we can see this coming. So we know and we're starting to, you know, make, you know, moves. And by we, I mean, conservatives have an opportunity to respond to this. What happened, though, is on July 29th, the drafting committee met down in Irvine. When the drafting committee met, they suspended the bylaws that they did not have the authority to do. And they accepted a platform draft that had not been reviewed by the delegates. It was in violation of Robert's Rules of Order for about three different reasons. But mostly, it broke the timeline. Delegates didn't have a chance to respond, and the body that was actually suspending the bylaws did not have the authority to suspend the bylaws because these are CAGOP uh, bylaws, not a drafting committee bylaw. So they put forth this one-and-a-half-page platform that no one had had a chance to review or submit amendments on. And so you've got this, you know, happening, and then they basically sort of tweaked the amendments that were there, and they watered them down, and they put forth a four-page document that they said, here, here's our draft platform for everyone to review. So right now we have a 14-page platform, and we still do because we kept that one, and it became watered down to this four-page platform that stripped out water from it. It stripped out election integrity. It watered down the right to life plank. It watered down. I mean, it was, it was, so, no one was happy with this. The there was nothing. Of time, in the interest of time, let's fast forward a little yeah, bit. So, so I was just going to give it that. So that the, one thing, the rules, the Roberts rules of the road is what almost 90% of American if, media. If you use. guys will indulge me for a second, I'm going to give you a 90 second summary that will just catch this straight, straightforward because we got in the weeds a little bit. But right, the bottom right, line right. is they do this drafting committee and what happens is the left of the party runs a drill to get their people elected to the drafting committee. They did the same crap in 15. They did the same crap in 19. They came out with this garbage of a platform and what have you. So in 23, what Harmeet did was said, okay, here we go again. They did it again. Let's readopt the existing platform. When she did that, and then what happened was when people started to look, they realized, oh, my God, the votes are there to adopt this gar this four-page garbage. So that's when... The votes were never there to adopt the four-page garbage. There, well... Okay, you need to understand something, Karen. I was being paid, <laughs> and I've run delegate drills, and I knew where everybody stood. Once Brian Jones and James Gallagher engaged, once Doug LaMalfe engaged... Right. then they were not. That flipped... Dozens of votes Correct. for people that were ambivalent, that were going to go along with a four-page platform. Once Gallagher, Jones, LaMalfa, Ted Gaines. Tony Kravarek, Fred Whitaker. Tony, yep. Exactly. Yep. That flipped dozens and dozens and dozens Agreed. of votes to where yeah. it became the fact of the matter was that the platform got adopted 70 to 30 at the, at the uh, convention. But you need to understand something, William. This isn't unique. This issue isn't unique. This underhanded backroom crap, this running delegate drills and stuff like that, this is the way this stuff is done in internal party politics. If you know the rules and you take advantage of the rules and you do it, the problem is these people can't control themselves because they've been enraged for 30 years by the pro-life, pro-family platform. 
So they screwed themselves because if somebody would have had the wherewithal to sue them, they'd have lost because they violated Robert's rules. Right. The drafting committee didn't have the authority to suspend the rules, but they did it anyway. They didn't even pay attention. It's like, you can't even cheat right. It's like, come on, if you're going to run a delegate drill and you're going to freaking pay for proxies and stuff like that, don't freaking suspend the bylaws. You just pay for enough proxies to get yourself where you need to go. So um, anyhow, it worked out. But the fact of the matter, and I think this is the overriding point from what you sent us leading into this podcast, we should have never had this fight. Okay? Exactly. exactly. When we chartered when we chartered the Log Cabin Republicans, and by the way, I had told a couple of my friends in the Log Cabin Republicans I supported their charter, and I had a crisis of conscience, and I couldn't cast the vote. So I gave my proxy to Harmeet, who voted my proxy and her own vote and what have you in favor of the Log Cabin Group. I just couldn't do it myself. But they had said when they were going to get their charter that, uh, you know, these fights over the platform they weren't going to engage in. But the fact of the matter is, is I learned after the convention that the leaders that were, you know, lashing out at people and stuff like that in the weekend of the convention and stuff like that, it was all log cabin people. And it was like, guys, what did you do this for? This was unnecessary. We didn't need this fight. This just exposed divisions cause reopened old wounds and stuff like that. And it sure in the hell doesn't get anybody elected. Right. Well, see, and now that's the other point right there. Could I, could I go? Yes. Okay. Because that's the other point that, that, because again, your initial question was one, why do we have this discussion over whether or not this actually gets people elected or it doesn't. And it absolutely does not. And that's something that really needs to be stressed because there is this debate over what gets people elected and what people, over what doesn't. But here's the simple, simple reality. And I I will, I'll summarize this and make it quick. But Republicans are going to win elections, especially in close races. They're going to do so usually by a few hundred votes. And here's the thing. They are never going to pick up votes that are on the hard left that it doesn't matter how far we move our platform to the left. They're not going to get those votes from the left. All they are going to do is lose the votes that are on the right, and they're going to lose them by the amount that they lose the election by. And right, so it's like right. if you want to win seats, it's not about it's not about the platform. It is about staying true to the convictions of the people that are going to vote for you. And, and that, explaining that they can't get that math those, right is problematic. Sorry, and go ahead. Explaining to those people why those values are superior to the other guy. True. Right. Well, True. I, I think I, I, what I always tell people is, why is somebody going to go for Democrat light when they can get the real thing? And that's what Karen is saying. My issue with the log cabin <laughs> Republicans is isn't with any individual, but as a group, somebody over there likely determined we can make our play. And we're a protected class right now because they have been for the last two to three years uh, in, in the sense of how the media, how people look at them and things. So, so they made a tactical play. But what they failed to realize is they created a greater division because people who supported them will no longer support them. Based on what I've just learned, I'm not going to support them. And I would I would I mean, we all know Gina Roberts and company. Right. And I like them. But at the end of the day, I'm like, what have you all actually done to grow the damn party? Yes. Nothing. That's why you do and, it? But what they've done here is try to undercut the party. And that's what we can't have. And my concern is 100 years ago, this would never have even been contemplated. Uh, uh, now it's being pushed to the forefront. And I just think it's part of the 
I don't want to say complete, but near complete takeover by the Rhino Establishment Party and California is the flaghead. Am I wrong in that thought process? And I hope I am. Uh, uh, Karen, you're itching to talk there. so I am. I am. Well, because I, I was going to say, because you were talking about growing the party, and that's really the key. And, and, and that's that's a huge factor, because here's the deal. The, the three individuals who actually wrote the one and a half page platform that was submitted in violation of the bylaws are, are three failed assembly candidates who ran in districts with three times the number of Democrats to Republicans. And then they have the audacity to try to blame the platform for the reason for their loss. It's like, do some math, okay? It, it, it's just it's just absurd to, to have made that type of, of conclusion or that type of jump. And, and again, they are not in any way comprehending the, the significance of the issues. Ironically enough, they actually then latched on to Devin Matthews, Devin Mathis, sorry, Devin Mathis to actually send an email out about why this was like so important as well. Yet he is in the safest Republican assembly district that we have. So he can move as far left as he wants. And he's not going to ever like be in jeopardy of losing his seat because it, the, the Republicans control that, that particular seat. But it, it's not a apples to apples comparison. And it's, it's not representative of the districts that truly matter. The Valadeo district right. who right. wins his district and stays pro-life. Okay. It's not representative of e even the Greg Wallace districts. That's going to be, you know, a tough and uphill fight. I mean, you know, whether or not he's able to keep right. that. Right. And, and I think part of that uh, it falls on the feet of leadership, whether right or wrong. They're responsible for guiding us. So uh, I want to move on here. Uh, I don't want to move on from the conservative platform, but, uh, but we're spending a lot of time in the weeds. So we want to keep the summaries better. My Our producer just said, you lost me. You're in the weeds. So we want to be aware of that. Uh, uh, but it's good stuff. But that said, let's move on here Cut to it the down. final aspect. Yeah. Cut it Tom, down for the final version. <laughs> exactly. So Aaron Parks. Aaron Park. I'm sorry. Uh you were talking betrayal. I, I mean, I've never been a Tom McClintock. I mean, I lost my love for Tom McClintock over the last few years once he became a congressman. But why would these? Why would certain politicians who are are conservative? But why would they sit there and just go left in the sense of want, not telling us not to care about this? It's not worth the time, the battle, or the effort. What's your quick take on that? You realize before your producer edits this podcast, we spent thirty minutes of broadcast time talking about the platform. That's the reason why most politicians, it's the easy way out. You wash your hands of it. You don't deal with it. It's too messy. It's too icky. It takes a long time to explain how all this stuff works. There's too many moving parts. But see, that's been the Tom McClintock that I've known ever since after he got elected to office. You know, there were a bunch of us that helped him get elected to office for the first time in 2008. And when the natural infighting started in Tom McClintock's district, he took the easy way out and just sided with the people that had the most money or the most perceived influence and threw a bunch of people under the bus that had supported him. So this behavior from McClintock, I have not been a fan of his since 09. I've been a critic of his since then. Not because he votes bad, not because he's a bad person, but because he governs piss poor. And when the conservative movement needed him time and time again, he's been gone. This was just the latest iteration of it and the most public example. What actually happened, William, just so you know, um, Ted Gaines, who was one of the early people along with Harmeet and the others that we've talked about, was getting on the blower and he was starting to make some calls and stuff like that to rally support for the platform. Well, Ted and Tom had been close. Ted lives in Roseville. Tom represented Roseville for 12 years. So Ted called him. Hey, Tom, blah, 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 blah. Tom McClintock said, Ted, why are you doing this? This is a waste of time. You shouldn't even bother with this. You should wash your hands of it and what have you. 
And Ted obviously had never had that kind of an experience with McClintock, even though I'd had like a 12 to 15 such experiences with him. He was shocked by it, and he talked to some people about it, and it got out. And, of course, when I got a hold of it, I'm like, huh, see, I told you so, guys. <laughs> I've known this about him for a decade and a half. And, you know, so a little bit of vindication for me, I'll be honest with you. But the fact of the matter is it was bad for the party because what McClintock did was uncalled for. Had it been me, and I actually thought the platform drill was a waste of time, the way I would have said to somebody was I would have said, look, okay, if this is something you care about and this matters to you, go for it. I'm not going to do anything because it's not important to me. Right. But if you're going to do something with it, go for it. Right. He didn't do uh, that. And, and, <laughs> and to relate to the audience is what I'm getting out of this is Tom McClintock has lost touch with his people. And he's no longer representing his people to the best of his abilities. No, I, Karen, I'm going to I'm going to chime in. And I, I'm Karen, gonna, I'm, Karen, Karen, let me finish. Uh, uh, this at the end of the day, no matter what job you take in life, and I have left about six million dollars on the table over the last 12 years because I would not bend my values. You, you get elected through your constituents because of your values. Once you start changing those values and stop stopping caring is a changing of values is Aaron's right. That's what he should have said. But instead, he, he he said it in a way that, that just makes him look bad, makes the party look bad. And he's an elder statesman in our pol political system here in California. It makes everybody look bad. Then you get young conservatives who see that and they become like I did a few years ago. I'm like, why am I wasting my time? Nobody cares about the conservative values anymore. They seem to want to do what gets them elected or keeps them in power. And so what you say about Tom McClintock is, is seems to me to be the norm within the whole of the Republican Party. And that's I think correct. that's why that's why elections that's we correct. should win, like in like the past cycle, we can't. You know, all right. It's not because of McClintock. It's not because of McClintock. It's not because of McClintock. I mean, like, I don't, I don't have a strong opinion. Is part of the machine. No, 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 no. Wait, let me finish my statement. Whoa, time out. I've listened to both of you. I get to speak now. My turn. No, my turn. My turn. My turn. Okay. Okay. Hey, hey, I'm trying, but okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. I don't have a strong opinion on McClintock one way or the other. I respect sure? Aaron. I'm sure, yeah. I, I respect what Aaron is saying, but here's what I also know. You know what? He's out there right now in the middle of this speaker brouhaha. That's a freaking disaster. And he's out here calling out the just lunacy of the Matt Gateses of the world that is uh, that are the agents of chaos in Congress. And he's still upholding conservative values in his votes. And he's still upholding conservative values in who he's trying to get into the speakership, at least to the extent of the fact that he wants to have something functional in the way of government and in the way of Congress. So well, did he probably awesome. make a faux pas when he was talking to you no, know Ted Gaines about how to actually deliver that? been useless on internal party politics for 15 you, years. You've got a vendetta. You've got a hatchet against him because I've he even like disclaimed. Okay, okay. Karen, okay time, I even, out. time out. Guys, time out. Time out. I even out. disclaimed my I disclaimed my comments about Tom by saying he was a good vote and a good man, but he's right. absolutely useless in internal party politics. All three statements can be simultaneously true. The guy right. can be dead ass right on about what he's doing in Congress. But he can also be dead ass wrong on internal party politics. That was what my point was. Right. All right, fair and, enough, and, fair and, enough. And, and, and I'll have the last comment, then we're moving on. Uh, sometimes it's easier just to give up on something because you don't want the fight, you don't want the controversy, you don't want the issues. And that's what I see with too many 
uh, Republicans. It's easy to vote Republican conservative, but even at the 80-20 rule, you look at the 20 percent, they tend to be they tend to not vote for the true conservative uh, measures we actually need. It's easy to go vote for a, a conservative. We're going to rename his post office versus protecting uh, 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 women and children. And that's that's a point I think Aaron was making. That's a point I agree with because you're right. Tom McClintock, when you look at his votes, probably hasn't done badly. But we are a machine. Both parties are. Uh, and there's there's certain things that are happening that are guiding the party to the state we're at right now. And that's where we'll leave it at. Let's move on to the board elections. Now, this is important. Let's not get into the weeds. It's easy to get into weeds. So first of all, let me lay it out. There was an upset in the board election. Uh, uh, David Hernandez won the vice chair uh, of a position. And I'm going to let Karen start out. Then, Aaron, mm -hmm. I want to get your thoughts on it uh, based off your article. But, Karen, if you could tell us a little bit about David Hernandez, uh, the 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 uh, the position he won and how it affects conservatives and is it good or bad this victory meaning will yes. he have any positive effect? All right, so the position that he won was the LA Geo. I'm sorry, it's the Los Angeles Vice Chair of the CAGOP. It's the liaison between the LA GOP and the CAGOP. Uh, it was previously held by Howard Hakes, um, uh, although not immediately preceding. Uh, so Howard Hakes has held held the position for at least four years, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and so he ended up resigning. I think he's actually going to go work for the Tim Scott campaign, I believe, but that's a little bit of rumor. And Tim O'Reilly was appointed to fill that position. Tim O'Reilly is the current chair of the LAGOP. So there was a three-way race that was being held for who was going to hold that position because the appointment was only going to last until the election at the CAGOP convention. The three candidates that were in the race was Johnny Morgan, the immediate past president of the CRA, David Hernandez, who's uh, with the LA uh, Republican Hispanic Council, and Tim O'Reilly, current LA GOP chair, and also was currently holding that position. The three-way race um, ended up with, with Johnny being out very, very quickly, you know, once they actually counted the votes. Then it was a two-way race between David Hernandez and Tim O'Reilly. Now, here's where the fun stuff comes in uh, that, that was there. After the first round of votes went through, they suspended voting, even though all of the delegates had been told, wait, because we know it's going to go to a second round, because we know that no one's going to get 50% plus one in that first election, which is exactly what happened. It, it didn't, nobody got 50% of, of the votes because Johnny's votes pulled enough away from that. And I, I think it's 50% plus one, but you might actually have to win it by 60. Whatever you needed, whatever the threshold was, it didn't win in the first round. So then they're like, you know what? Hey, we've got to do platform committee next because the wonderful geniuses at CAGOP put the LAGOP. Yes, thank you. Exactly. They put the LAGOP like chair race and the platform committee in the same room. So then they crashed into each other. Oh, David Hernandez is. Karen, hold on, Karen, 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 can you repeat that? You y'all were laughing. I think the audience doesn't get the gist of what's obviously an inside joke here. So, 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 explain to us. They, they bit. put the two hottest contested issues in the same room in back to back time slots. So they know that the LAGOP election. Election, or I'm sorry, the LA chair, uh, you know, vice chair election is going to take longer than it's going to be. And they have it backed up against the platform committee that's coming into the same room afterwards. Yes, Aaron is correct. So after we, after so, they're so, trying so to get. Karen, a time crunch is what happened is what you're saying here. Oh, 
the, the LA vice chair vote went easily a half hour over, and it was already running over to begin with. And so when the, essentially the establishment, I mean, Ashley Titus was in there trying to like diffuse the situation of like why they were doing it the way that they were doing it and what the justification was. But David Hernandez's people were just livid. Like there was a full on screaming match between Michelle Martinez and Andy Garakani over the fact that they were being kicked out of the room. It was hilarious. I mean, yeah. Any of it, they finally get the LA folks out. They finally get the platform committee in. They finally set the time for the, the revote that was there. And you had to go into a separate room. They had like three different elections that were going on in there because there was an associate delegate vote. There was the vote for a vice chair. And I think, I think there was one other um, election that that was a runoff or that was still being run as well. Anyway, so they, they finally did that one. The result was the fact that David Hernandez won. So if nothing else, it was an upset and it was a win for definitely grassroots over what would be traditionally called the establishment, even though Tim O'Reilly is not a bad guy. He's just not. I mean, like, I understand that people, you know, see different things that were going on there. But I mean, but the thing was, is he was being backed by those that he would have been indebted to. That's a different discussion for a different time to, to a degree. Uh, but in, in any event, so uh, yeah, so David Hernandez um, ends okay. up winning it. And that's kind of, you know, where we ended up uh, as a result. Okay, so so Aaron, what were the keys to David's victory? I, uh, Karen touched yeah. on it here. Seems like yeah. a backup here, but what were the specific keys? Because what I read from you, it wasn't necessarily a pro David crowd as much as what Karen explained some of the circumstances that went down. So the bottom line is, man, is imagine being at a freaking convention center and having the Elks Club meeting at eight o'clock and then having the Rotary Club meeting at ten o'clock. <laughs> that was the scheduling cluster that they did in the exact same damn room. Okay, that's the first problem. Second problem is is that Andy Garakani, which is a name she mentioned, Andy Garakani. Gimme candy. <laughs> Gimme candy, right. He is a chief consultant. He's basically known as Kevin McCarthy's hatchet man. For people not familiar with the California Republican Party, Kevin McCarthy basically controls it behind the scenes. Andy Garakani is one of his one of his paid consultants that he uses in order to manage things. So when you hear the name Andy Garakani or Gimme Candy as as people call him, that's when he's out doing the bidding of the establishment. So Mr. Garakani was promoting Tim O'Reilly. Ashley Titus, who is in there trying to referee everything, is actually the attorney on retainer for the California Republican Party. Gotcha. Okay. okay. So you get an idea of the absurdity of what's going on. <laughs> Michelle Martinez is a multiple-time assembly candidate who is a stone-cold <laughs> conservative who's very good friends with David Hernandez. So these are the players that are like going 15 rounds. So basically what happened was the way a collapsing ballot works, William, is when you got more, more candidates than two, the ballot collapses where the last place finisher disappears. Then you take another round of voting until you end up head to head so that you get one person who gets 50 plus one. Now, had one candidate gotten 50 plus one on the first ballot, you, there would have been no collapse. It would right. have been over. You walk. Okay. So basically, Johnny Morgan got a very small number of votes. But here's what the problem was. Mr. Morgan's seven votes or eight, eight votes. Eight. It was eight votes. And I've heard, because I have to get human intel, I've got like six different vote counts of it. But let's, Johnny Morgan got plus or minus eight votes. And then David Hernandez got plus or minus 66 votes. And Tim O'Reilly got plus or minus 67 votes. Oh, Point being. No. David David 73? David was ahead of Tim in the first round by I think it was two votes. I'm almost positive. Okay, see, and now, yeah. now I've been told I've had 
four different vote counts that I've been, wow. or three different vote counts that I was told. Here's the bottom line. You basically had David and, and Tim O'Reilly tied on yes, the first ballot. Yes, yes, correct. And you had Johnny Morgan get it, a very small number. Correct. Mr. Garakani knew what that meant, that all of Johnny's votes would go to David. They had no incentive to be expeditious about the voting and stuff like that. Uh, okay. And it is my belief that the reason why the thing spilled over into the rules committee meeting was they wanted to adjourn and Platform. have this, that yeah that <laughs> that thing we were talking about for half an hour. Anyway, <laughs> but my belief is they wanted it to spill over on purpose because they wanted to give uh, O'Reilly some time oh, to try to rally some more people yeah. because this allowed Andy and other people to get on the telephone and try to call the establishment aligned people and get them down to the convention so that they could show up the second time. Well, the problem is when they voted the second time, it was David who got more people to show up, not Tim. And David actually beat Tim by a pretty damn healthy margin the second time. I'm not even going to get to numbers. I just know that he thumped him. It wasn't close enough to even warrant a recount. So their own tactics blew up in their face. Yeah, so there, there was like... I'm sorry, I was just there's like a three-hour gap. You're exactly correct, Aaron, um, that th that was done so that they okay. could rally more troops. Here's a second one for you, the associates rep thing, right? John Paul White was elected associates rep. Now, Mr. Now White that is a bit... That, uh, the associates, basically what happens is every, quote, blue badge delegate who is a regular voting delegate of the California Republican Party can appoint an unlimited number of red badges, a.k.a. associate delegates. The associate delegates rep is the board member that represents all those red badgers running around. And it is a position that seesaws back and forth. It does, uh, the associates rep does have a vote on certain things. And on the board, it's just an ex officio member but they do serve on various committees and various sub... And again, to avoid the weeds, I will stop right there and I'll shut the, set the lawnmower aside. But basically, <laughs> the associates rep is a position with some influence and what have you. So basically, the conservatives did to the establishment what the establishments used to do in the conservatives. They actually ran a drill because I knew three or four people that were involved in recruiting red badges to show up to the convention to vote for Mr. White. So at this convention, you had two officer elections that because the conservatives were able to shut their bleeping egos down and stop arguing long enough to organize, they centered around two things and they won them both. Now Three, including the platform. Sorry. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. We, we, that required intervention from the outside. The conservatives <laughs> would not have won the platform drill by themselves. They needed True. the help of... They yeah, James Gallagher, Jones, Harvey. Yes, yeah. yes, but, yes, but, yes, but, yes. yes we'll, we'll take the win anyway. <laughs> you got, well, here you go. Now you got five board members who are not from the Kevin McCarthy machine. Good. You've got good. five CRP board members who are not from the Kevin McCarthy machine now. Okay. So you've got Brian Pritchard in the North Coast. You've got Lori Wallace in the North. You've got um, the associate rep, Mr. White. You've got Mr. Hernandez. And there's one other that I can't remember, but that's okay because I'm 52 and I can hide my own Easter eggs and, you know, we'll go on from there. So. <laughs> okay, so, 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 so let me reiterate then. So in essence, David Hernandez was livid because he had the vote for the second ballot right yes, away. Yes, he did. David but, was cool as a cucumber, no, 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 but no, 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 his no, people no, were ticked. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but, but, but my point, 
But my point is, this is where conservatives. What's that saying? The you you, you the the uh, you the, the jaws of victory get snatched or something? How's this? <laughs> yeah, they did not. They did not snatch such victory from the jaws of defeat. Exactly. <laughs> it yeah. sounds like he doubled down and got even more votes. So to me, that's right. It's not only the win. It's the process we took to get that win, you know, and and, and to everybody out there, what Aaron is talking about is we are establishment uh, run and driven uh, since 2009 is what my research has led me to believe. Uh, I mean, it goes farther back, but in a sense, when before is, my time, when, baby, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, the reason I say 2009 is that's when we started losing exponentially across the state. So I okay. kind of view that Fair as enough. one of the, the points, but it sounds like we have some life. Cause I'll be honest, guys, I haven't gone to a convention since the one in San Diego, pre COVID uh, family issues. And then, uh, cause the COVID shutting everything down, but I left that San Diego convention. I don't want to say depressed. That's a strong word, but kind of depressed in the sense, can we ever win? So it sounds like there's some, uh, a little well, light the thing, at the end right? of the tunnel. And I, guys, this is one thing I harp on, on right on daily on my blog. When I write about CRP stuff. Okay. They control the rules. They control the process. You can complain and whine about the process all you want. But you had better study those rules, study those bylaws, learn what the processes and the procedures are. So maybe three and a half years from now, they can't run a drill and take over the drafting committee right. and pick another fight. Right, if we have right. a majority of conservatives on the drafting committee, guess what they can do? The bylaws say you can vote to readopt the existing platform. It's right there in black and white in the bylaws. You don't even have to write a new one. And, okay? and the, other, the other thing but, is Robert's Rules of Order. Does it, that right. is one of the most important things that most politicians or, or people involved do not know. When I got elected, I, will, I was like, what is that? And I had to 100% of the time when the establishment has tried to screw the conservatives out of endorsing, the way that they're able to get away with it legally is because conservatives don't know Robert's rules and they screw something up. Right. And somebody who's skilled in Robert's rules saddles up on that violation of Robert's rules and gets them. Yep, that's you right. know. William, real quick, before we move off of the uh, the David Hernandez win, um, which I, I, I do think was a terrific win, I do want to clarify one thing, though, and, and that is is that there there are some pretty big shoes to fill, and I know that there, that's been debated that's there, because the role that is there is is very largely a chief fundraiser role, and Howard Hakes did that role very well. Now, it, it was mostly... talking about David. David here. Uh, I'm saying David Hernandez has big shoes to fill okay. from... Yes, Howard Hakes, even though Tim O'Reilly held it for a, a brief interim. And so David Hernandez now has the role of, of raising a significant amount of funds for Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. So much of what uh, Howard had done had been kind of that, that uh, uh, new uh, new majority uh, money that had come through, and that may not necessarily translate over to, to L.A. anymore. Okay. No, no, I, just I, I, I get to, that. Go ahead. Go ahead I just want to back Karen up on something by contrasting, like I was mentioning Brian Pritchard in the North Coast and Laurie Wallace in the North. They're not fundraising because each of those guys have set. Uh, Lori's got 17 counties and Pritchard's got 12 counties. So their responsibility is more like trying to make sure all the counties in their district have a central committee that actually meets, that recruits, trying to make sure that offices are filled and things of that nature and what have you. So each regional vice chair has a different significance in the party because of their location. Like the Orange San Diego vice chair, for example, they're going to be a fundraiser like like the L.A. vice chair because that guy only has two counties. You see what right. I'm getting at? Yeah. So Karen yeah. is Karen's dead right on about that. 
Right. And no, I, no, I, I wish I wish Hernandez luck, man. Yeah, is, same, uh, same, 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 same. Job. Right. Yeah, no, no, I, I get that. And a, a little uh, FYI for the audience, uh, I've actually contacted Lori Wallace. I love her. I met her uh, five, six, seven years ago, and and she's so nice, you know. She, I, when I when I emailed her, I'm like, I'm not sure you even remember me. She goes, Oh yeah, I do. I liked you too. So yeah, we're good. <laughs> but uh, Lori, uh, she, get on the podcast. You, yeah. you show up for the podcast, Lori. She's a little nervous, so I'm going to try to convince her. But that, that's just a little tidbit for the audience here. Okay, so moving on. Uh, we have a new senator that was appointed who has chosen not to run for re-election coming up. Uh, she's maybe running. No, no, I just I just read it. I mean, they can always change their mind, but I read an article that, that says she didn't plan on running for election. It doesn't matter. It doesn't okay. matter. The point is, no, I mean, I, I could be wrong because these articles and these insiders change all the time and we don't really know. But it's an open seat is my point. And I have not heard outside of Steve Garvey a major name, nor have I heard any major names because God bless Tom Del Beccaro. I love him to death, but I think he took an opportunity at the seat. I haven't seen a major name since maybe Huffington, who got shellacked by a, 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 a boxer a couple of decades ago. Is there any whispers y'all are hearing in terms of any potential serious senator candidates? Because I like Steve Garvey as a baseball player, but I do know as a fan, he's got he's got more skeletons in that closet than the cemetery down the road over here. Well, the other Republican who's running is Eric Early. I, I wouldn't put that into the major name category, but he has run several races, you know, including statewide races that's there. So, I mean, you've, you've got Eric Early who's been declared for a while, uh, who's, I think, going to have some fundraising issues, especially up against the just the right. megaliths of, you know, the Adam Schiff's of the world and the Katie Porter's of the world. Uh, the reason why Steve Garvey gets the... the the touting is because he can probably bring some money into the race, whether his own, whether because of the people he knows. Because he's famous, exactly. Well, I don't know. I think it's pretty dumb given the fact that one of the main issues of the presidential race is that you've got candidates who are going to be or are 80 while they're holding office. Mm -hmm. Same thing would be true of Mr. Garvey. Mm -hmm. Mr. Garvey is 25 years my senior, and I'm not exactly a spring chicken. So, um, But he's got a good surgeon. Let, oh, good Lord. Let me tell you some guys. This is the thing for me with California's Prop 14 rules. Speaking of rhinos and bailing on the party, I still remember all the Republicans that voted to put that thing on the ballot. Anyway, clear that for a second. Because of the Prop 14 rules, we haven't had a Republican qualify for the runoff in a damn long time for United States oh, Senate. Oh, Prop 14, the jungle primary is what you're referring right, to. Right, 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 right. Okay. Muser did make it, but yeah. yeah. Well, well, hold on. The jungle primary well, for the was audience on, is... There was, there was, no other Repu- or there was yeah. one other Republican, right. but... Right, yeah, but, but real quick, for the, for the audience out there, the jungle primary is Prop 14, which means the top two vote-getters, regardless of party, uh, move forward. Right. And that's one reason I loathe Jessica Patterson, but that's a tale for another day. Go yeah, on. That, uh, uh, yeah, that's right. Moisier, that predates her, but... Moisier beat Cordy Williams for, uh, yeah. for second place, but there was right. only one major Democrat in that race. But the point I'm getting at is, in an open-seat race, we haven't had a Republican make the runoff since Prop 14 passed in an open-seat race. So let me tell you this much. This might surprise you to hear this. I could give a sh- who the Republican candidate is as long as one of them makes the runoff. Gotcha. We need a Republican candidate who can make the runoff, please. It, we are so broken as a party with 24% statewide registration. 
if somebody is discernible as a Republican and we can convict them in court of being a Republican and they can make the runoff, I will be a happy camper. And I just don't think a 77-year-old burnout baseball player is the answer. And I don't know if somebody who's run four or five times for statewide office or however many times it's been that Mr. Early has run, I don't know if he's the answer either. But seriously, for the love of God, anybody watching this podcast, please get us a viable candidate. Get us somebody in the runoff. Please. That doesn't mean run five Republicans, though, because if we stay with two Republicans and three Dems, maybe a fourth Dem, we probably do get a Republican to go through just because of math, hopefully. You mean you're asking for people to set their egos aside? (laughs) And and my take on all this is I learned uh, with the Cordy character how that system works. And that's why I actually get... Eric Early's, I guess he's on some podcast. Somebody sends it to me every time he does it. He's, uh, he does his shows, and I get that. So I'm aware of him. My issue with somebody like him is he's a multi-candidate uh, uh, who can't seem to win. And part of it's because he's, he, uh, he can't raise the necessary money to compete. And that's my concern. You have to have the money to compete statewide, not just for, uh, for uh, 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 the general but just even the primary, I remember I wrote an article about that, how all the candidates, none of them actually qualify per the CAGOP's uh, 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 rules. So my concern with that is money. I'm not a Steve Garvey fan. I love them as a player. I did. And I hated the Dodgers. I was a Reds fan. But Garvey go up there with a half swing. Boom, it's out of the park. And I just admired that. But as a young adult, I started to realize when uh, uh, all the insidious skeletons in his closet, because he's a philander, he, he, he he just he's your jock who lived the life of a jock for lack of a better word so i don't but we live in a day and age but my real concern is simplistic i don't want to say this is winnable but this is as close to winnable as i've seen since i since i moved uh uh, uh maybe maybe we can lose maybe we can lose by 15 or something (laughs) but hey here's honestly if we were trying to do that we should run an independence because like the, the closest We've I seen want to it. draw a parallel, but I really want to draw a parallel for conservatives because there's a lesson in the David Hernandez and the John Paul White and the Lori Wallace win that applies to elections. Okay, this is the uh, uh, conservatives. Okay, this is Uncle Aaron here. This is 26 years in the political arena speaking to you right now. I'm not any smarter than the rest of the guys. I've got my ass kicked at the ballot box many times in campaigns and stuff like that. But let me tell you something. Many times we have a tendency to pick the most conservative candidate because we think about principle first. When it's not balanced with a discussion about viability, a.k.a. connection to the district, connection to the state, uh, fundraising, endorsements, and stuff like that, when you don't think about that, you run a risk. Now, David Hernandez was able to win an election in a small universe by being the most conservative guy and drawing people to him. You can win school board races and city council races with that kind of an approach all day long. Mm -hmm. Somebody can win with 5,000 bucks or 10,000 bucks for a school board or city council seat. You can win a party election with 200 or less votes in the universe and stuff like that with that. But when you're talking about a major office like Assembly, State Senate, Congress, so many times we get a dozen Republican candidates, nine of which have absolutely no business running because their mentality is a city council race or a party officer race mentality in a major election that we need to, as a party, 
start having quality control and start refereeing this stuff because we keep diluting votes. And I will get you right to an example, William. In 22, there was a race called Senate District 4 in, in my backyard. Okay, Senate District 4 actually includes a little piece of Placer County, which is my old stomping ground. Okay, five Republicans ran. Three of which, three of which had significant money, and the Dems were smart enough to file two Dems. Five Republicans, three with money, two Dems. Guess what happened? Dem on Dem race in what should have been a solidly red seat. 43% Republican registration seat drew two Dems in the runoff because this one rich guy sent 15 pieces of mail and he finished fourth. Stephen Bailey finished fifth. And George Rodanovich, the former congressman who had all the endorsements and a ton of money, finished third losing to the second-place Democrat by 2,000 votes. These three egomaniacs split the vote perfectly, and at least two of them got calls from leadership and Republican leaders and stuff like that, and they refused to back off. They said, no, the other guy back off. Guess what? You guys all got to feed your egos and stroke your egos, and you all lost. And now George Rodanovich is running for assembly, and he's going to win because these other guys took their ball and went home after they got done screwing the Republican Party out of a safe seat. Wow. You know, Lesson, I, I, I'm, I'm actually very familiar. We have a district here called the 76th Assembly yes. District. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, and, yep. and so, so what he's saying uh, to, the, to the audience here is, when you have too many candidates running in a primary in one race, you're going to dilute your vote to where you could own that district, but the your the your opposing party will win it because they only field one or two people at most. That's what happened in the 76. Now that was turning purple with the help of Rocky Chavez during his tenure, but it was still winnable. Uh, and I put the blame on the party. The party does nothing to train. To They make empty promises. And when you lie to people, if you drop out, we'll help you do this, do this. I've seen that firsthand where they've said that to a candidate, and then they never help the candidate down the road. Eventually, that catches up to you. And on the 76th, that's what happened. One of the candidates said, William, they promised to help me two cycles ago, and I couldn't get them to return my calls afterwards, so screw them. And I, even though the ramifications, well, hell, there weren't much. We were already at two-thirds super Democrat, but the, <laughs> I couldn't blame him. And that's my issue with the party. And we'll leave it at that because we're approaching the hour mark and I want to tease the audience first because these two individuals have strong opinions, as you can tell. I failed. I apologize. I shouldn't have allowed Squish. us to go into the weeds so much. Exactly. Uh, uh, but that said, next episode, I want to talk Donald Trump DeSantis and 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 I want to give the audience an overview of how politics works, how rich California is, why we get all these national politics, and why even though the state is pretty much Democrat, the Republican candidates still keep coming. So an overall uh, uh, swath I want to go through, uh, but I apologize. One more question, because to me, water is important in this state. Was there any talk about water, or was that somebody? Was that something that Trump may have mentioned? Was that it? Uh, uh, it Karen, wasn't in the original. with Aaron. It wasn't in the original platform, which was causing some issues. Neither was agriculture, which was a huge uh, factor. Uh, but water itself was not specifically discussed. Uh, and the fact that it wasn't, like I say, again, it wasn't in the platform, uh, I think raised some concerns, especially with like James Gallagher, who has a, you know, a, a slice of uh, a rural area that was there also. Uh, Trump did make a crack about water, but I don't think that it was really uh, a factor at the convention. 
But no, no, here's why it is a factor. That's what caught my eye. Was the, that's the only thing on the article. Think about it. Think of our state and water issues. And the only thing that makes the damn media is Donald Trump doing a, a couple liners. Aaron, any final thoughts on, on that? Well, I'll give you a little inside information as uh, now that I'm kind of split my allegiance between Nevada and California, I've had an opportunity to talk to a lot of people out in the rules of Nevada. And full disclosure, by the way, I work for Ron DeSantis' Super PAC in Nevada. Oh, that's right. And um, I will tell you that the uh, feedback that I've gotten from a lot of the rural commissioners out here in Nevada is that Donald Trump did nothing to help them with the wild horse or the water issue. So it's really interesting that he's talking about water now. Because uh, I've got people that were in office when Trump was in, in the White House the first time that couldn't get any help on the water issue. It's a big deal. It's a big deal in the north state of California. It's a huge deal all over Nevada and stuff like that. Like literally like where I live, I live in the north end of Reno. Their development is going to be halted artificially by the fact that they're basically running out of water to support what they're building and stuff like that. And people are going to end up having to go out to Fernley which is 45 miles out in the desert uh, in order to find places to live and stuff like that, to work back in the warehouses in Reno. Now you fast forward that to California. We have an artificial water shortage in California. That's Man-made. something that, right. Yeah. Right. That's exactly. something that's not being talked about, but that might be a great uh, topic for a future podcast. And I hope to God that your per, that your producer can trim some of the weeds and what have you. That man-made water, water shortage is directly the result of, of what Newsom wants to use for the next power play. Right. Uh, there has to be a fear-mongering tactic that is used by Sacramento, and it's going to be water next. And I will finish exactly. this by saying none of my opinions are those of, of the Never Back Down Pass. These are my opinions only. <laughs> Aaron F. Park, right on daily. They're mine. They don't belong well, to anybody so, else. So Thank what you. I'm going to do is I'm going to have to bring a pro-Trump person on because he's seen the energy party. on here tonight. Exactly. Let's party. <laughs> I want to thank Thank you both, uh, Miss Karen Roseberry and Aaron Park. And and don't forget, check out rightondailyblog.com. Correct, Aaron? Rightondaily.com, rightondailyblog.com. Karen, you the bomb. It was good to see you again. <laughs> good to see you as well, Aaron. It's, 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 Thank it's, you so much. You're welcome. And, and the final point on the blog, it's, it's the only blog I go back to at least once or twice uh, a week. It's the only <laughs> blog in all of politics, sports, or whatever that I'm consistently going to. So congratulations on a good job. Thanks to for the, the invite, brother. Thanks You're for welcome, the invite, brother. Take care, man. To the audience, this is uh, Fired Up California, the inaugural episode. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to visit sportsgrumblings.com for our articles and other podcasts. Podcasts, And you can also find us on your favorite platforms, YouTube, Rumble, Apple, Google, Spotify, and Pandora. Please Fire McDaniel. this. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Please share this podcast, people. And with that, we are out and good night. Good night.